And praise the Lord, everybody. I'm so thrilled at what I feel in this church. I'm excited about the spirit of revival. I'm also very excited about the, your passion for growth and evangelism. I love the fact that your pastor is constantly urging you to bring somebody with you to the house of the Lord. What a great waste it is to have all this beautiful presence of the Lord and not share it with a hurting, lost world. Amen. And I am a firm believer that Jesus deserves a full house. Every time he comes. I appreciate your kind response to the word of the Lord last evening. Your worship, your exuberant, zealous desire to bless the name of the Lord. And it's just good to be with you. I will say this and maybe say more about it tomorrow night. But I really believe that the Lord would like to elevate this church to a position of not just being the church of Denison, but being the regional church for Texoma. Because of the foundation that's been laid here, the principles that have been practiced and the doctrine that's been displayed and the love for souls, there's no reason why you should not be the church of Texoma. That's the will of God. Indulge me a moment to say how much we've enjoyed being with Bishop Gilbert and his wife and our pastor and his wife. These are wonderful people. Do I need to tell you that? You know, it's kind of hard for a pastor to step up here and say, y'all need to know I'm a great guy. It's just kind of difficult for him to get up here and say that. So it's my privilege, responsibility to, to declare what is known around the country that I'm sure you know, but never should you take it for granted, the blessing of spiritual apostolic leadership. Their hospitality, their kindness has been second to none, and we have just enjoyed fellowship and talking. We live in a busy world, and everybody's committed to the gospel and to their work of the Lord, and we don't really have much time to be together. And it's just been a real treat. To, to share some stories and to renew friendships and respect, and we thank God for it. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 is where we'll preach tonight. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 through verse 25. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was a calm. And he said unto them, and this is where I will preach this afternoon, he said unto them, where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered, saying one to another, 
What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Sometime back, I was casually reading this passage of Scripture. And I thank God that the word of the Lord is an ever-flowing fountain of endless inspiration and illumination. The Bible is, is, is fresh. It's, it's so applicable and pertinent to where you are. And it is so relevant to your need. I've often said, why didn't I get this 10 years ago or 5 years ago? The reason is, I didn't need it then. He gives us this day our daily bread. He opens it to our understanding as we need it. I'm going to bring a concept from this passage of Scripture from the thought where Jesus said, and it just kind of leaped to my mind. It may be the way you saw it when you originally read it, but I've never seen it just like this. When he said, where is your faith? Tonight I'll preach a few minutes on the subject, the fallacy of misplaced faith. The fallacy of misplaced faith. Would you put your Bible down and give the Lord another great big hand of a praise? I just want to ask you one more question before you sit down. Is there anyone in this room tonight that's very excited that Easter is just a few days away? I love special spiritual holidays, and it's going to be a great one this year. You're going to have an outstanding Easter right here this year, and we're excited about it. God bless you. You may be seated. With their direction and destiny determined by the desire of their master, that's a few flowing verbiage, but what I'm saying is you need to understand this. It was not a mishap. It was not an accident. It was not a coincidence. It was not something that the disciples were doing on just a, a spur of the moment kind of a thing. It was with the direction and destiny determined by the desire of their master. The disciples encountered severe negative circumstances that appear contradictory and calamitous. Jesus appears unconcerned and undisturbed about the storm with its wind, with its waves, and its water now filling the disciples' boat. I think if the disciples would truly been in tune with the spiritual aspect of their lives, if Jesus wasn't worried, they shouldn't have been worried. They should have had enough confidence in him to know that if he's sleeping, everything's all right. But now when they saw him get upset, get disturbed, then they know, hey, this may be a tight spot. I'll never forget one time, as often I do, I was traveling somewhere to preach, and I was on the window seat, and there was a, a young lady in the middle seat, and, and then a gentleman on the other side, and we were coming in for a landing somewhere, and all of a sudden, all these lights began to flash on that airplane, and there was like warning signals going off inside that airplane. And this young lady sitting beside me turned to me and said, what does that mean? Well, trying to be Joe Cool, you know, and Mr. Got It All Together, I said, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about that. It, it, it ain't nothing to be alarmed about. She said, sir, what is that? I said, it don't, that's okay. It, it, nothing to be scared about. And she said, just a minute, sir. She said, I'm a flight attendant. 
And I've never seen this happen. <laughs> At that moment, I began to call on the name of the Lord. <laughs> I mean, if you're a flight attendant and this has got you upset, then I know this may be something I ought to be upset about. But as long as Jesus is cool with it, as long as he's not upset or disturbed, then I don't think we ought to go into the panic mode. So Jesus didn't seem to make a big deal out of what was happening. But the thoughts of death and disaster dominated their minds and drove them into a frantic desperation. How many of you have ever been in a situation, a circumstance that literally, and we say this all the time, but I mean literally it blew your mind. I mean, by blowing your mind, your, your, your logic is gone. Your thought patterns are disrupted. You're not thinking clearly. You're, not, you're maybe not even thinking at all. You're just in a comatose state of shock and startling fear. That's life sometimes when facts are flung in our face. We get negative reports and they rain down on our brain and our flesh quivers like a terrified rabbit in the lights of a car and we're shocked and terrorized and traumatized and it's in that moment that Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, where is your faith? They wanted him to know. They woke him up because they were fearful. They wanted him to be aware. They wanted him to be alert. They wanted him to be in their apparent emergency as they needed to awaken him. So I see this text that Jesus felt the need to awaken them. While you're trying to activate me, I want to activate you. And it's like he was trying to wake them up and slap their face and awaken them mentally. They were sleeping in their minds. They were comatose in their minds. They were, they were not thinking. Jesus rocked and shocked them with this question. Where is your faith? I want to preach tonight for a few minutes about what happens to many of us. When all of a sudden we're in a dramatized, desperate place of near defeat and death. And we're startled and we're terrorized and, and we've got reports that, that we've never heard before. And we're looking at bad situations that we've never stared down before. And by the way, let me tell you this. There's one plan of the adversary. He doesn't mind you celebrating what God did in the past. He'll let you have that. He'll say, yeah, he helped you then. But there's one tactic the devil always wants to use, and that is this. That was then. This is now. This is like something you've never seen before. It's bigger. It's worse. It's more fearful. It's more terrorizing. And this ain't like that. This is something unique and different. I got a message for you. God worked then, and God will work now. You don't need to be terrorized tonight that you're facing something God can't handle in your life. Clap your hands and shout amen. I want to say to you tonight, you don't need to fear because the God that did it yesterday is the God that's going to do it today. And the God that is going to do it tomorrow. How many times have I been terrorized by a report or by a circumstance and later on I had to apologize to God and say I'm so ashamed I don't know why I got worked up about that I don't know why that terrorized me I should have known that what you did yesterday you're going to do today what you do today you're going to do tomorrow because he is the same yesterday today and forever miracles are not just a part of our past 
and they're not just a part of our future, they are a part of our today. So when our faith is properly relocated, it will be the answer to long prayed prayers. Miracles will happen, needs will be met, heaven will be open, and the bountiful blessings of God will come to us in an unsurpassed, powerful way. I'm convinced tonight that we're just a one act away from the miracle territory God wants to take us to. I'm convinced and convicted that when Jesus said, where is your faith? He was not questioning the existence of faith or the reality of faith. What he was saying is, you need to give thought and look at what you're really believing in. You need to give attention to what you're really trusting in, where your, where your values are and, and where your faith is. He was telling them, you're suffering from misplaced faith. It wasn't that they didn't have faith, they had faith. The problem was where they were putting their faith. You see, it was obvious that they had faith because they said, most positively, we're perishing. This is it. We're done. We're over. We're finished. This is going to happen. And, and I was thinking today as I was preparing for this message, it reminded me of my little grandson when he was about five or six years old, something happened. I don't know what it was. It wasn't all that terrorizing and fearful. But afterwards he said, you know what? This could have been the end of Gigi. His name is Jensen, but his, his loving name is, is called, they call him Gigi. He said, I thought this was gonna be the end of Gigi. Well, I'm gonna tell you, when you think you're at the end, you're not really at the end. But we don't, have, we don't need to have faith in a misplaced location. Here's what I'm saying. They had faith that was obvious. They knew they were done. They thought they were finished. But they had faith in the wrong place. They had faith in the strength of the storm. They had faith in the wrath of the wind. They had faith in the weight of the waves. They were convinced and quite positive. Without doubt, they were undeniably done. They would sink and not be saved. Their faith was in the power of the storm. We need to get our faith back under control and take it off of the negativity of our world and put it back on Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have more faith in the disaster than we do the master. We have more faith in the wrath of the wind than his written word. We have more faith in the power of the storm to destroy than the Savior's power to save. We have more faith in defeat than we do in victory. We have more faith in sickness than we do in wellness. We have more faith in our inability than we do God's ability. We have more faith in what we don't want to happen than what we do want to happen. We have more faith in the enemy's ability to hinder than God's desire to deliver. Get a hold of your faith and let's put it back where it is supposed to be and by the way let me say this when the master says let us go over it is impossible to go under when the master says let's go over it is impossible to go under I strongly suggest we acknowledge it is impossible 
for the ship to sink when the Savior is on board. When that one that walks on the water is a passenger, waves are no problem. Waves are no problem when we have that one on board our ship. Clap your hands and shout amen, somebody. Here's where we need to put our faith. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. But we're going to remember the name of our Lord. Clap your hands and shout, what are you scared about tonight? What are you worried about tonight? Why are you doubting tonight? Get a hold of your faith and put it where it belongs. In the power of our God with whom all things are possible. Woo. I'm glad you're not on the front row. You got a shower right then. I said all things are possible. Somebody shout all things are possible. All things are possible. Quit believing in what the doctor said and start believing in what the great physician said. Stop repeating and rewarding the negative reward. The question is this, whose reward, whose report? Whose report will you believe? Let's shout it. We shall believe the report of the Lord. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Everybody say amen. amen. You see, you maybe see the problem, the problem the children of Israel had when they got to the promised land was their faith was in the walled cities. The faith was in the giants that were there. The faith was in a land that it was said could eat up the inhabitants. Their faith was in the walled cities. And so they said, we can't. Now let me share a little revelation with you. Never argue with those who say they can and those who say they can't because they're both right. Ten said we can't. Two said we can. And they were both right. The ten who said they couldn't, didn't. And the two that said we can, did. And matter of fact, I could ask you this. Could you give me one of the names of the two that said we can? You can't give me one. You give me two every time. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Now, give me one of the names of the ten who said we can't. You got ten to choose from. Just give me one. You know why we can't name one of the ten who said we can't? Who cares about people who say we can't? Who wants to build a monument to people who say we can't? Who wants to name their kids after people who say we can't? I want to be a part of a can-do church. We can't have revival. We can't fill our building. We can't double our church. We can't see miracles. We can't see signs. We can't see wonders. 
clap your hands right now. Remain standing just a minute. Preach for me. Hey, hey, hey. I want somebody to shout the name of somebody that's a backslider and say, we can't see them come back. We can't see our children come back. We can't see our lost family come back. We can't see our neighbors saved. We can't see revival. And by the way, you may be seated. Since that is our strongest adversary, the only real credible adversary to this apostolic church right now is negative thinking. Negative thinking is the only true adversary to this church. When they came back, for years I used to preach that they came back and they brought back a negative report. Brother, you've been reading your Bible. I like it. But the Bible said they brought back what? An evil report. In other words, negativity is evil. We need to look at negativity like we look at sin. We ain't about to smoke a cigarette, take a joint, look at something nastier, be immoral. But we put negativity on the same level because the Lord said it's evil. Now the reason I don't want it, this is going to be so deep. Only the college graduates are going to get this. This is deep. The only, the reason evil is so bad and negativity is so bad, evil is one letter from devil. If you put a D on evil, you now have devil. In other words, when you get negative, you become evil and you're close to the devil. When the pastor says we're gonna do it, you need to shout amen. When the pastor says we're gonna see it, you need to shout amen. When the pastor says it's gonna happen, just like you are right now, you're on your feet shouting amen, amen, and amen. So I recently saw this. You may be seated. You ask Israel why they couldn't go into Canaan. Here's what they said. Walls, giants, a land that eateth up the inhabitants. Tall people. He, they said, that's why we can't go in. But I, I wasn't planning to use this, but I think I'm right. Hebrews 3 and 19. When the Holy Spirit gave its commentary on that same story. It didn't mention giants. It didn't mention walls. It didn't mention a land that eats up people. Hebrews 3.19 says, so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. God said it wasn't walls, it wasn't giants, it wasn't the severity of the land. The only thing that kept you out is unbelief. I'm asking God to baptize this church right now with a positivity, with a faith, and rebuke negativity. I rebuke negativity. I rebuke small thinking. I rebuke little faith. It's time to let your faith go and believe God. Put it where it needs to be. You may be seated. The prophet came to Hezekiah. He said, you're going to die 
and not live. The scripture said immediately Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and no doubt he began to sing coming home. He thought it was over. I mean all the Lord had says you're going to die and not live. He turned his face to the wall and got ready to die. The prophet left after delivering that negative message. He had been out in about the third court and God spoke to him and said, wait a minute. He said, go back. Tell him I've changed my mind. Tell him you're going to live and not die. So the prophet came and said, God told me to come back and tell you, you're going to live and not die. Now when he was told that he was going to die, he required no proof. He required no credibility. He required no evidence. But when the prophet came back and said, wait a minute, God said you're going to live. He said, what sign can you show me? Can you give me a sign? We don't need proof when we get the negative. But when somebody preaches the positive, prove it to me. Prove it to me. Prove it to me. We don't need proof. We need to clap our hands and celebrate God's greatness. You may be seated. When Goliath stepped before Israel, started taunting them. Matter of fact, let me just preach on this just a minute. The Bible said that Goliath said the same thing. I believe it was like 40 days. Morning and evening, he said the same thing to Israel. Everybody say the same thing. Amen. Now, this is going to be real revelatory to you, but I'm going to help you here. You know what? In my experience, Bishop, I think you'll agree with me. Pastor, in all of our years of experience and working with people, believing with people, for longevity of life, really and truly, usually people only have one problem, and it just keeps coming back, and it just keeps coming back. It's one giant in their life that terrorizes them, that tries to dominate them. He said the same thing every day. And when David the shepherd boy stepped out there, saw in all of Israel, had faith in the size of Goliath's body, faith in the size of his sword, faith in his military might, faith in when he said, I'm gonna feed your carcasses to the fowls of the air. They had faith in Goliath, but there was one shepherd boy who had faith in God. And I like the fact that David said, what you're saying you're gonna do, we're gonna do to you. Let me share a little illustration here, brother. Step up on the platform here, would you? What's your son's name right there beside you? Come up here, stand right here in front of me, in front of the pulpit. You won't hardly feel this. Just, just come here. Just come stand right here. Right there. There you go. Look, look, look at this guy here. Turn around at him. Now, if I was going to preach tonight on David and Goliath, who do you think this would be? Goliath. Who do you think that would be? Well, I got news for you. That's the way we see it. But let me tell you how God saw it. The way God saw it was this is David. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Goliath thank you 
That's how God saw it. And that's how God sees you. And that's how God sees this church. We don't need to see ourselves as grasshoppers. We need to see ourselves as the mighty, militant, marching, victorious army of Jesus Christ. We've got the word, we've got the blood, we've got the name, we've got the power. Clap your hands and shout amen. Saul's knees smote together in doubt. But have you ever noticed that when the Bible said David came to the site of the battle? The scripture said David shouted for the battle. While Saul's knees were dancing in doubt... David shouted in victory for the battle. He ran into it shouting the victory. He knew that God was with him. By the way, I wish this was something that was up to now. I preach pretty much what I believe, what I think, what I've out of my brain. Let me tell you something. I heard somebody else say it. It's worth repeating. When God puts a Goliath in front of you, it's because he sees a David in you. If God puts a Goliath in front of you, it's because he sees a David in you. Our challenge is to get a hold of our faith and put it where it needs to be. Quit believing the disease is gonna kill you. Start believing God's gonna heal you. Stop believing that the adversary is gonna dominate you. Stand up right now and start shouting the promise of God. I'm going to put my faith where it needs to be. Jesus said, get a hold of your faith, guys. Put your faith where it needs to be. Lift your hands and bless his name right now. Clap your hands one more time quickly. I want to minister just a little bit more here while you're standing. I felt it strongly. I want to repeat it again. There isn't but one thing that can hinder this church. Negative thinking. Negative thinking. Everybody say negative thinking. Negative thinking. Close your eyes, bow your heads. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke every negative spirit in this auditorium. I pray liberty, I pray victory. Loose this church and loose this ministry to have growth beyond their greatest imagination. Free this church to believe for miracles, signs, and wonders. I take authority over negativism. I take authority over doubt and unbelief. I take authority over a spirit of doom and gloom and I speak life, and I speak healing, and I speak wholeness, and I speak greatness, I speak largeness, I speak the dynamic move of God over this assembly tonight in the name of Jesus. Somebody needs to jump out of that aisle right now and shout, I shall live and not die. I shall live and not die.
Let me say one more thing. I do have bad news for some of you. <laughs> you know what my ministry's been in the last number of years in the UPC? Dragging saints out of caskets, <laughs> trying to die when it ain't their time. Get out of there. <laughs> You're not going to die. Get out of there. Years ago, I had a heart attack, and my dear wife was with me in the hospital, and she was so tore up and so nervous. I'm kind of cynical and silly at times, and she was crying in all sincerity. And she just said, Wayne, honey, please, tell me, tell me you're not going to die. Tell me you're not going to leave me. Please stay here with me. I don't know what I'd do without you. And this cynical, crazy side of me, I looked over and I said, honey, I'm going to make you one promise. She's so serious. She's the opposite of me. She's so serious-minded. I looked at her and said, honey, let me tell you, I'm going to make you one promise. She said, what's that? I promise you, if you ever see me in a casket in front of an altar at church, no one thing, somebody put me in there. Because I promise you, I'm not climbing in. And here's the bad news I have for some of you. You're going to live a lot longer than you think you are. <laughs> some of you checking your insurance policies. Some of you making up your mind, setting everything in order. Nothing wrong with that. But while you're doing all that, why don't you make up your mind? I'm going to have a revival. I'm going to have life. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to shout. I'm going to, I'm going to have vacations. I'm going to move to a better place. I'm going to get a better car. I'm going to have a better life. Step out of the aisle right now and rebuke unbelief. Rebuke negativism. Get a hold of your faith. Get a hold of your faith. Jesus said, where is your faith? You've got it, but you've got it in the wrong thing. You've got it in the wrong place. Quit believing your own nasty negative flesh that says you're going to backslide. Quit believing your own nasty flesh that says you're going to divorce. Quit believing your own nasty flesh that says you're not going to be able to make it. You're not going to be able to survive. Lift your hands and say, I rebuke doubt. I rebuke negativism. I claim blessings. I claim revival. I claim miracles. I claim growth in the name of the Lord. Take somebody by the hand and say, good things are in your future. Blessings are coming your way. But get a hold of your faith tonight. Put your faith in the promise of God. Put your faith in the prophecy of God. Put your faith in the power of God. Put your faith in the presence of God. Come on church, lift your hands and celebrate victory. Celebrate the greatness of God.